Welcome to the podcast series on the art of mentoring, where you will learn about great mentoring. This podcast is funded by the National Science Foundation to support mentoring visually impaired middle and high school students in science, technology, engineering, and mathematics, also known as STEM. In this podcast, your guys will be me, Dr. Laura Lunsford, a mentoring scholar at the University of North Carolina, Wilmington, and me, Megan Barr, a senior in business management with a human resource concentration at the University of North Carolina, Wilmington. Let's get started. This podcast is all about assessing understanding. And assessing understanding is also about how to foster independence in a mentee. Hmm, I can see how that might be complicated. How do you know when someone understands something? How do you figure out what is too much help or what is too little help? Yes, and it is equally bad to help too much as it is to help too little. But we can fortunately borrow a few ideas from developmental psychology to help us out. The idea of a zone is a useful one. And scholars talk about it as the zone of proximal development, or the ZPD, as I like to call it. The idea is the lower end of the zone is what a person can do on their own without help, and the upper end of the zone is what a person can do with assistance. And as mentees develop their skills, their zone moves along with them. I see. So the idea is to figure out what the lower end of the zone is and then provide support to help them accomplish tasks at the upper end. And if I don't know what a person can do on their own, I might help them when she or he needs it. Well, it would be that you might help her when they don't need it. And so we want to just provide support they need to try to reach that upper end of the zone, which then they become more accomplished and the lower end changes. So you want the task to be challenging, but not so challenging that it's impossible to do even with help. But on the other hand, it's not really fostering independence or assessing understanding if you provide support when the person could do the task on their own. Okay, I get the idea of the zone, but how do I figure out the lower end of the zone with my mentee? Well, how do you figure out what anyone can do on their own? I've been watching basketball lately, and the zone idea applies there as well. How do you figure out when a person can make a shot or understand the game? Well, you first let the person try it, and you provide encouragement and support that he or she can do it, and that part of learning is making mistakes. And you see, were they able to do it on their own or not? Okay, so when I was growing up, I was doing competitive cheerleading, and my coach thought I was ready to do a move on my own, and I, you know, went and did it. I landed on my face and had rug burn on my nose, and then we decided that I wasn't ready to do that. So is that my upper end, or was that my upper end? Well, it sounds like, first of all, I didn't know you do dared cheerleading, so what an interesting thing to find out about you. And second, did they help you at all when you tried to do the move? We thought I was ready to do it on my own, so no. Well, so that sounds like the coach had been providing you support, so they were, you were towards the upper end of the zone, but it was too hard, so you weren't yet able to do it without support. And so in this case, it was at the upper end of your zone because you still need the support to get it done. When you can do it on your own, your zone is moved, and so it's things that you can do on your own at the lower end. 
but how do you know how many mistakes would be acceptable? Well, when a mentee becomes frustrated or doesn't want to try anymore, then it's probably time to encourage her to take a break and help her to identify some new approaches or ideas. A key aspect for this mentoring program is to help mentees draw connections between their last interaction with you and the current one. What did he learn last time that would be helpful now? And this is the sort of question that you can even ask your mentee. Is there such thing as too much independence? Yes, there is. If the person doesn't need your support or help, then either the task at hand is not particularly challenging enough or he or she is ready to move on. So you could think up how to make it more challenging by involving your mentee in that conversation. For example, it might be good to develop the habit of asking him, how challenging was that for you to accomplish? Or even ask these questions when they're asking questions to the industry mentor. And you might ponder, well, what could we do together to make this more challenging in the future if it wasn't very challenging? For example, in this mentoring program, the mentees will be working on projects, but they'll also be interviewing industry mentors. So it might be the case that sometimes what the mentee is trying to figure out is if she or he can relate to working in a STEM field by talking to a successful professional who also happens to be visually impaired. How would you make an interview more challenging? The mentee might be nervous asking questions. However, if she isn't, then you might ask her to come up with one of their own questions next time or ask her to describe their ideal day at work if they're imaginary, in their imaginary and ideal future. Again, the idea is how can you make this more challenging to help the mentee develop more skill so he or she can accomplish more on their own? Sometimes it seems mentees ask a lot of questions when she is trying to solve a problem. But if all I do is answer them, then am I probably not assessing or understanding or fostering independence? Well, you probably aren't if you just answer questions every time they get asked to you. And indeed, mentees often do have a lot of questions. She might want to please you by making sure she's doing everything, quote, right or the right way. And thus, it's important to communicate that the right way is really about her trying as hard as she can to figure it out and ask for support and ideas when she's stuck. But given that mentees will also be asking structured questions of mentors, it sometimes is absolutely okay to answer questions. Just remember to ask a few back yourself to your mentee. For example, you might ask, can you ever see yourself in a profession like mine? Or can you ever see yourself studying my major in college? What else might be useful to know to make sure mentors assess understanding well? Well, that's a great question because sometimes our biases can get in the way of our doing a good job of assessing understanding. We might assume, for example, that because a person is visually impaired, he is unable to understand how to complete a particular task. For example, I'm quite petite. And in college, someone assumed I couldn't participate in martial arts, well, because I'm not a very big person. But it ends up that martial arts were designed for small people, and Japanese were around five feet tall a century ago, which is about my height now. So we really have to check our assumptions that might get in the way of our assessing, understanding, and fostering independence. Good point. 
I've seen people assume someone is not interested because he was not speaking up, but the person was just introverted and was thinking. Once he, was, once he was invited to participate and given time to think, it was clear he was really interested in the project. That's a good example, Megan, of when personality might lead us to have a bias that limits our ability to assess understanding. And introversion is one of those. Sometimes people are just quiet in their thinking, but we assume that the person is disinterested. So personality, maybe there's some cultural differences. Maybe it's really busy and stressful, so people might forget instructions. Or even fear of making mistakes. These are all important to consider. The main lesson here is to ask in a non-judgmental way rather than to assume what a person can and can't do. There are two takeaways then for me on assessing understanding. One is focus on the zone, what a person can do alone versus what he or she can do with assistance. The second is to watch out for my own assumptions and ask an individual what he or she is capable of doing rather than assuming. Those are really good takeaways. And yes, it is better to say, hey, I'm not sure of your background and experience, so why don't you tell me what you know about this activity? It's also important to ask the mentee to summarize from time to time what she heard from you. This is especially true if the mentee is interviewing you. I have one more question. Some mistakes are okay. How do you communicate to your mentee that mistakes are a part of learning? Mistakes are important, and that's also part of assessing understanding. The way you communicate <clears throat> what you say after a mistake really matters. Your focus should always be on learning, not if the answer is right or wrong. And think about how you can reward effort and connect effort to future results rather than worrying completely about what didn't work so well in this particular case. Because mentees can get frustrated or, or maybe think something's too hard. So for example, if a mentee makes a mistake, you might ask him, well, how hard did you try? If they just spent five minutes on it, you might say, you know what, this activity really needed 15 minutes of your time. Why don't you try that and let me know if you have some questions? Or you might ask where he thinks he missed an important point. And he might say, you know, I, I had it up until this point and here's where I really got confused. And then you could have a dialogue about, well, what could you change next time when you encounter this difficulty? Or what did you learn last time that might help you solve this problem? Okay, so when I was learning how to knit from my mom, the first time that I made a blanket, it was ugly and there were these holes from where I had missed stitches and the pattern didn't connect. And she would tell me that everyone's first blanket is ugly. You never just come out making a beautiful quilt. And so that really helped me keep going and learning because even though I had an ugly blanket, it, there was hopes that it would get better. <laughs> That's a great example. And you know, I tried to take up knitting too, and it was a little frustrating at first when you drop a stitch and you feel like you have to redo things. So I like that analogy of you're always going to have an ugly first blanket. And the message there is with effort and practice, it's going to get easier and better. Great. Now I have three takeaways. This podcast was all about assessing understanding. We hope you understand more, and we thank you for listening.